Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Meringue. Danny? Hello, 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 hello. Hello. That's and all I've got. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing it at this point. Is that it for today? That, yeah. that That's your uh, yeah, human that's, interaction that's, for the day? That That's all of the energy you had today. I literally, I went and went, uh, I was had no time today, so I went and got uh, a chicken sandwich at Burger King, and he was kicking, he, the, I don't know, they had to cook it fresh or whatever right then and there. The guy working the window was clearly not interacting with humans for like six weeks because he he was like, hey, do you like the fish? That was that was the question that I got. And it immediately turned into, have you ever watched that show River Monsters? And we spent like 15 minutes talking about river monsters with Jeremy Wade and like the cult of like crazy fish around the world while my spicy chicken sandwich is being cooked. So there you go. Well, if this uh, delay goes on too much longer, we might become a what's it? What's the show called? We might become a big fish podcast. Now we all know how we, we got a lot of feedback on your um uh, nickname for Gary Trent Jr. being based on fishing in Minnesota. So, but we, we have to introduce our guests, but I have another story that feeds on top of that with more fish. So we'll, we'll get back to it. Okay. Cause we have a guest <laughs> and I don't want to make him wait much longer. He's actually here with oh. us from tomorrow live from Australia. Well, live as we're recording it. Uh, we are joined by the host of the NBA history podcast in all airness. Um, Adam Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. And it's nice to uh, connect with you in person after we've gone back and forwards with some messages uh, <laughs> over the last year or two, probably maybe a bit more. Yeah. Yes. Thanks yes. for having me on the show. The basketball connection uh, in Australia seems to be strong, especially with Blazer fans. Yeah. We have one well, of the writers on Blazer's Edge is from Australia. He's from Melbourne, and he came and visited around Christmas Melbourne. time. Not Melbourne, Melbourne. I thought I said Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good pronunciation, Dan. I like that. Melbourne. That's it. It's Melbourne. It's a little bit. I, and not to be, like Tara was saying, we do have a strong Aussie support group of the Blazers. Uh, I mean, uh, there's there's a guy who's been in the comments who uh, goes by Austin PDX. He is a huge uh, Australia basketball fan, Ben Simmons and, and the likes. But I think a lot of that stems from the fact that the early most successful Australian players, save Andrew Bogut, they have a link to Portland through Patty Mills. And I, I, his elevation on the Spurs and being on a, a international platform in the finals and stuff like that. Um, I think he got his start out here on the West Coast at St. Mary's. And then in Portland, he came, became kind of a cult hero. And that started drawing that interest. Yep. He's a highly loved player over here, Patty Mills. And as most of the Aussies are that have then gone over to achieve whatever they've done in the USA. Uh, so that's good to hear. I've got to try and get used to pronouncing your name as Tara. It's Tara over here with a long A, so I'll try and <laughs> I say Tara. Either and one. See how we go. I, I when okay, I was well, growing up, my best friend's name was Sarah, and we were always called Sarah and Tara. So I certainly got used to it, and I I know who you're talking about. I know you're not talking to Dan if you say it. So anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for being here today. We're going to talk about some NBA history in a little bit, but I'm just curious. I'd like love to check in and find out how things are going in Australia right now. Are you under the same similar? lockdown as is going on in the U.S. right now? I think it's fairly similar. Some parts of Australia are under more lockdown than others. Uh, in New Zealand, which is only about three or four hours to our west, uh, they're under complete lockdown. Uh, but here in Australia, we're on what they call stage three in most parts. And um, for the most part, you can only leave the house for essential items or to go to the doctor or go and see uh, whatever it may be. Or if it's essential that you can't work from home, then you can leave to go to work. Um, but it is pretty much self-isolation and all the social distancing that's happening pretty much around the world. That's a phrase that I never thought I'd be saying you know, a few months ago, social distancing. Um, very fortunately, my wife and I just got back from a USA trip only about a week or two before the travel bans all came into place to actually stop people flying internationally. So we were very fortunate to have our great holiday earlier this year and return before all this coronavirus madness came to be so we're very thankful for that yeah being stuck in the u.s would be uh i don't know if you didn't live here that's that'd be unfortunate to say the least <laughs> <laughs> well 
Well, we'd hoped that our travel insurance would have covered something had that sort of come to be. But thankfully, we arrived back home in Australia uh, just before the onset of everything and it really ramped up. So, yeah, we're back back here in Australia. It's kind of funny. You said social distancing wasn't something you would like you would never thought you would hear. And the first thing that popped into my head, I was like, huh, that's actually a pretty decent like mid 90s punk group name. Like instead of social distortion, you've got social distancing. I was like, I, I can see that. Like, I, I mean, that's really not that far off. <laughs> so actually, the things running through my head right now, okay? <laughs> we, we're definitely going to have to give uh, Dan some time to just go. Um, but Adam, I'm wondering how has your day uh, routine changed? Like what are you filling up your time with if you have more time than you did before or if you've, uh, you know, if your routine has changed significantly? Uh, my routine hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, I have four days of work and then three days off. Um, so that's good in that respect that I end up mostly being at home on those off days and I still manage to get into work because it's essential. I can't work from home. However, um, probably just even more YouTube deep dives, just trying to find all random old school NBA footage and I, I live for the old school stuff. So I love watching all the old games and just seeing what pops up on the YouTube feed as to uh, what goodness, you know, what goodies can turn up. And um, that keeps me going as well. So my routine hasn't changed a lot, except for the fact that you can barely leave the house uh, to not even go to the supermarket barely. Um, you get looked upon pretty badly by some of the uh, the staff members that work there. And you think, I'm just getting some absolute essentials, milk and, you know, cereal or something. And then I've got to go out, I'll go straight home. But um, yeah, so it's a, it's a little bit different, but not a whole lot different, I guess, from how I have been recently over the last few months anyhow. You talked about watching some YouTube footage and old games and stuff like that. Is there a, like a grail game out there, a holy grail game that like you want to watch, but you just can't find because whatever reason it was destroyed, there's no record of it, it's not on YouTube, NBA took it down, anything like that? Uh, it's a great question. Probably the, the holy grail game that I would think of involving Michael Jordan at least is the 1981 high school All-American game. Uh, he hit a couple of free throws in the last few seconds to, I believe it was to ice the victory and give him a one or a two point win. And, uh, I think he had 30 something points. He actually wasn't named the MVP of the game, which, um, was hmm. quite surprising, but that probably would be one of them. I've only seen maybe three or four seconds of highlights of that game ever <laughs> that appeared on YouTube and the games never appeared online as far as I'm aware. And it doesn't exist within the trading community as well. So, uh, that would be a great one, uh, if it was in fact, uh, to pop up online, but. I'm not holding my breath. So it only exists in uh, on a real to real, huh? Quite possibly. I believe there was a definitely there was at least one camera person there because I've seen a few seconds of footage of um, I think it was just a, a fast break layup he got. But to this point, it hasn't surfaced. But you never know. Eventually, all these things do appear online. So fingers crossed that that might be the case uh, going forwards at some stage. You can only hopefully hope. hopefully somebody during this pandemic has time and starts going through some boxes. And finds, exactly. the, finds the footage. <laughs> exactly right. You just never know what might surface. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, well, I could just keep my fingers crossed at this stage. Maybe it's on a uh, VHS tape in a box somewhere in Portland waiting to make its way to you one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I've heard there's quite a few boxes of tapes that are available in Portland at the moment <laughs> that you had a large part in helping me secure via a good friend of mine. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, who you met, I believe, at a Blazers game maybe last season. Yeah. Um, so yeah. This, the story is that uh, somebody who uh, I'm connected to on Twitter found boxes and boxes of old VHS tapes that had been put in a bin uh, behind the Rose, Rose Quarter somewhere, um, brought them all home, and then at some point uh, his uh, significant other was like, uh, time to clean out the garage and do something with these. So there was a mad scramble on Twitter to find someone willing to take them in. And so your friend Jeff uh, has them, I still believe. And uh, one night just for fun, I, I had an extra ticket. So the first time I ever met him face to face was he came to a blazer game with me. Uh, and we talked and wondered about what was in those boxes. There's got to be some wondrous things on those VHS tapes. I can't wait to see them. And uh, Jeff's very kindly housing the tapes and he's in the process of, of converting. Well, he's going to be converting some for me, but he's just trying to work out the technical side of things to get them onto his computer. Um, so I don't want to pressure him too much, but if he does listen to this, and I'm sure he probably will once I let him know that we've chatted, 
um, hopefully we'll be able to get a glimpse as to what's on there. So, yeah, very exciting. Who knows what could be unearthed on some of those those tapes. It's um, a bit of a gold gold mine of what could be, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Thank I, you for your part. I, I hope it's all, like, the security camera footage from the practice facility <laughs> from when Paul Allen was was keeping tabs on everything all the time. You guys know the story, right, that he had a, the feed at any point in time, anywhere in the world, basically. He could flip on a remote and see what was going on in the practice facility. He actually had a hardline feed that went to one of his yachts and his submarine so he could see what was going on in the practice facility. And I hope it's just those tapes. <laughs> wow. I, I actually didn't know that. Um, did that come out in a Kerry Eggers book or what? where did that come to be? How no, did you hear about uh, that? That was... It was right when, when he died they started talking I, about it yeah i oh, think okay. i think there was a, a long a long write-up on his obsession basically with the team and like obsessed in a good way and how involved he wanted to be i, I wish i could credit the author but i remember that sticking out so much because it was just like i knew about the cameras i like i knew that he had like the, a way to access them but they set it up on the tour it was available on satellite so he could access it anywhere in the world and i was like <laughs> If I had all the money in the world, that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly an interesting way to play it, uh, logging in anywhere around the world to check on what's happening in your facilities. So, mm -hmm. yeah, if he has the money, I suppose, so be it. But, um, yeah, I didn't actually know about that. That's a, a new stat for me, a new tidbit. So anybody in Portland, if, they have, if you have a VHS to digital – uh, record and want to watch some old uh, tapes of blazer games or practices or we don't even know what they are, reach out to me on Twitter at TCB Biggs and we can try to start getting those <laughs> digitized. We can crowdsource it. That seems like a great thing for people to be doing right now when we can't go outside, right? Absolutely, yeah. I'd encourage that as well. Who knows what's <laughs> in there? I just can't wait to see what – I know there's a lot of tapes and I'm really excited – might be a sad indictment on my living over here, but I'm really excited to see what's on those tapes. <laughs> well, I, Nothing sad about it at all. Um, Adam, I would love for you to give us a little bit of a rundown on the In All Airness podcast, like what it's about and what inspired you to start it. Well, I started the podcast in mid to late 2012, and uh, I was a big-time wow. podcast listener already. Uh, 2008 or thereabouts is when I started to listen to Bill Simmons' podcasts when he was with ESPN. And after a few years, I just started thinking to myself, I, I want to hear some podcasts where they chat with retired players. And occasionally, you'd probably have somebody on that was from that era, but I wasn't hearing any podcasts that actually covered the area of the NBA that I was really interested in. So I've been obsessed with the NBA since about 1989 when I was 14 or so, and that's when I started recording games off Australian television. We get maybe one game a week, which was probably played three or four weeks earlier. That's how delayed it was. But we'd get the games on TV here in Australia, and I started recording them on videotape, and then eventually I just kept them on the tapes and kept buying new tapes and recording games and games and games. So around that time in Australia, in the early 1990s, the Australian Basketball League, the National Basketball League that, that it was called at the time, um, Andrew Gaze was the big, big time player over here in Australia. And, uh, I think he's probably most well known early on in the late eighties for playing at Seton Hall, uh, and made it to the championship game in 1989, uh, with Seton Hall taking on Michigan. But it was really a big time in Australia for basketball. Um, I just started getting basketball cards. I'd buy basketball digest, hoop magazine, all those sort of things. And I just read them over and over again. So that's how I love all the old school stuff. That's when it started happening. So I'm a big nostalgia fan. And in about 2012, I thought, why don't I just try and start my own podcast? I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I reached out to Bill Wennington of the Chicago Bulls, uh, most notably, and just asked him randomly, would he be interested in talking about his life in basketball? And to my surprise, he said yes. And that's the first episode I recorded was with Bill Wennington. And then I've had all kinds of different people on since then, people who have been uh, former players, former coaches, uh, those in the media, either still involved in the media or back at that time as well. And then there's also topic-based episodes as well. So basically, I'm obsessed with the history of the game. Pretty much anything up to about 1998 is my sweet spot. And then briefly for two years when Jordan came back to play for the Wizards. And then that's pretty much anything pre 
pre that I'm happy to chat about at length because I know a lot about it, but uh, that's that's sort of how it all came to be. And I just love love doing the podcast and chatting to these players uh, about yesteryear. We should mention that uh, for anybody who obviously is not watching the video play uh, of this, that speaking of nostalgia, you're wearing a Vancouver Grizzlies hat right now, which is in pristine condition, by the way. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. Thank you. I so. actually bought this on our recent trip to the U.S. Uh, I bought about six or seven hats. I've got a few in the background you might be able to see, but they could be out of focus. But I love my hats, um, particularly cover up this uh, bald head of mine, basically. So <laughs> there's not a whole lot of hair up there. And um, so, yeah, I love my hats. And this is one of the recent ones I've, I've purchased. I just love Mitchell and Ness mostly. But, um, yeah. It's, it's, a, I, it's a beautiful hat. Thank you. I appreciate that. It, it, if, we're, if, we're, if we're ranking non-Blazers-related memorabilia, that era Grizzly stuff just mwah, love yeah. it. <laughs> it's the, it's the Grizzly and their home court as well. basketball in his hand reaching out. It's awesome. Yeah. John Moran, yeah. obviously in the, in the Grizzlies this year, ran out those uh, with with the new with the throwback floor, and that was probably the best executed thing I've seen outside of the Blazers running their throwback floor with their throwback jerseys this year. Like probably two of the best floor jersey combinations in NBA history. Yeah, absolutely. So on your podcast, you like you said, uh, get to talk with uh, players from different eras and. These interviews are amazing. I know that I have a couple of favorites. Um, recently, you talked to Danny Shays and Fat Lever. They were amazing. And um, I think they were both especially good because they, they were super, you know, comfortable with the media. I think they're in media right now. Are both of them? Yeah. So yeah, they were. Yeah, they are. Yes. They were really great. You know, they had all kinds of great stories to tell. But one of the other ones that really sticks out was from quite a while ago, and it was Mark Eaton. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I loved that Big one, Mark. talking about him um, and just his whole experience. But the research that you do is amazing when you talk to these players um, because, you know, like uh, so much about like when they first started and like where they played high school and college. Can you talk a little bit about how you prepare to talk to some of these guys? Yeah, well, thank you. I, I appreciate the kind words there. Um, I just, w when I have a chance to chat to a, a guest, no matter if they're a former player or a coach or someone in the media, I try and do as much research as I can. I listen to any other interviews I've done or articles that appear online when I'd search their name. Um, I also subscribe to newspapers.com, which is a, an awesome site where you can get access to a stack of newspaper articles that don't appear in Google searches. So that's really helpful. And then I just create a document where I run through anything I sort of find of note that interests me, which I then in turn think interests the listener. Uh, I create a chronological uh, document of all the things that uh, happened throughout their career. And then I just try and ask some questions from each section there as to what I think might interest them as far as chatting, chatting about, and then also me as the host. So whilst I know a lot about their background, I try and ask some questions that I actually don't know the answer to, but I do like to set the stage so that it lets them talk for a couple of minutes or longer sometimes about things that happen because I've gone deep into the research and tried to find things that they haven't often talked about. And uh, I think that's something that they enjoy, particularly the, the guests that don't often get all the media uh, limelight and particularly they can have some great uh, responses to things they've barely ever been asked about. So that's sort of a nutshell how, how I sort of get the documents put together and then how those conversations come to be. That just seems like kind of a cool way to go about things because in, when we have somebody on, like take for instance, we had Anthony Simons on two weeks ago and he's 20 years old. He'd be 21 in June. <laughs> He doesn't have the ability to have that reflection or that timeline. When you're when you're interviewing these guys, their 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 playing careers are behind them, but they have time to remember how they felt in that moment versus how they feel now. The reflection, how things can change, those dynamics that are all at play. So it's really cool to hear you talk about how you you spend so much time going into the research and and understanding who they are, what they are, maybe who they were versus who they are now, and how those different things can kind of compare and contrast over time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's one of the things that, that they enjoy most as well is that uh, they like to open up. And I tell them in advance, look, I've done a fair bit of research. So if you're interested in chatting, 
please talk for as long as you wish and then I'll edit it down as best I can. But with a podcast, that's one of the great things. It doesn't really matter how long they go for. People can pause them, come back to them or listen to them in one setting, whatever it might be. But yeah, when they get to reflect on their career and sometimes we're talking 30 or 40 years prior, I mean, I've had Rick Barry on the show. He was retired by about 1980. So um, when they go back that far and talk about the things they've experienced, it, it sort of helps them reflect, as you're saying there, Dan, about what they've achieved back then versus how they look on it now some 30, 40 years on in some cases. I'm sure Rick Barry still thinks he's or understands that he's the best free throw shooter of all time. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He's never short of confidence. And oh, I love chatting to Rick, actually. He had a bit of a bad rap, I think, for his reputation uh, in his post-playing days and, and sort of it's either take it or leave it with him. But I found him to be great to connect with, and he was nothing but uh, very generous when we, we spoke uh, quite a few years ago now. But hopefully I'll get him back on the show one day. There's no mincing of words, I don't think, with any of the berries. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's true. <laughs> do you have any um you know moments that stuck out maybe things that you learned as you were going on the way or just certain interviews where you just went wow after after you were done well very early on i think about the f- fourth episode or thereabouts uh, i had andrew gaze on the show now here in australia he's held in tremendous regard and internationally as well but particularly in australia he's a an icon of the game and to have him to talk to me on Skype. I think we talked for almost an hour and a half and he just talked all about his career and the uh, being the flag bearer for Australia at the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. Um, just reflecting back, it was amazing to hear him talking about his career to me through Skype, just some random guy in Australia. And um, so that was, I had to pinch myself to chat to Andrew Gaze. Uh, Luke Longley, another fellow Australian. I've had him on the show twice and we've sort of remained in contact as via the occasional text message here and there. And he was a, a super guy to chat to. But then talking to some of these former players who I've, I've admired from afar for so long to have a chance to speak with them. And then even recently when my wife and I headed overseas just back in February, I uh, had a chance to meet some of these guys in person, which was just unbelievable. Um, and some of the guys who actually have been on the show, Fat Lever, who you mentioned, uh, is one of the episodes you enjoyed hearing. I had a chance to meet Fat Lever in person. And that was just crazy. Mark Price, I mean, just incredible to meet some of these guys. I mean, there's a whole slew of people that we met over the course of two days in Chicago. And that was maybe the highlight of the trip, almost. But I better not say that because my (laughs) wife might disagree. But, yeah, it was really good. Like, I can't explain how awesome it was to meet all these former players and and some of the guys associated with the league in terms of um, guys that didn't play but were in management positions or owners and whatnot. So I met Jerry Colangelo briefly as well. Just incredible. Um, I don't want to drop names, but I guess I am. But, yeah, it was awesome. You're Just fine. awesome. A couple questions for you here. You're talking about Gase and, and his elevation of Australia kind of onto the international scene. I understand it because I, I grew up a, a big college basketball fan and, and, and the, the, the implications. Everybody, I think, outside of Australia probably thinks of Bogut as the guy who kind of really – but you're, when you – from Australia, Gase is that guy. Like him being on the national stage in the U.S. for Seton Hall and shining there, that's kind of like the, the coming-of-age moment for Australia basketball, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Bogut obviously is a massive star that made his way over to the U.S., played collegiately, I think, at Utah perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, obviously went on to the NBA, had a very long career, and he just recently returned back to Australia and has played a couple of seasons with the Sydney Kings in the National League here. But, yeah, Andrew Gaze is the, I mean, arguably, I mean, some people wouldn't even argue, he's the absolute greatest of all time in Australia. Uh, Lauren Jackson, who played in the WNBA, oh. she's right up there as well with all her achievements as well. But, um, yeah, to have Andrew Gaze, uh, to look up to him for so many years, and I went down and watched numerous of his games that he played with the Melbourne Tigers back in the 1990s. So it was just a surreal experience to to have him on the show and talk about his career, and um, that was early on in the podcast history as well. So, uh, it all came about because I just couldn't hear conversations with these people that I wanted to hear about their their lives in basketball. So that's sort of how it all came to be. And then it just has continued on from there for almost coming up on eight years. Um, I'd like to get the uh, episodes to be a little bit more frequent, to be fortnightly or, or thereabouts, but sometimes there's a bit of a lull because real life happens as well. But um, yeah, I just love doing it and I uh, couldn't think of, of not having it as a passion project in my life these days. 
Speaking of, of passion project, I think I picked up on a little bit of a trend here with some of the guys you were talking about. You you, you talked about Rick Barry, you talked about Fat Lever, you're talking about Mark Price. I, I, I take it you're you're a uh, shooting aficionado. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you ask me, I, I like to to shoot the ball, but it's uh, I haven't shot the ball very well for many years. I'm throwing up bricks left, right, and center. But um, yeah, I do I do like the shooting guards and the uh, the smaller guys. Um, I'm only about six one or thereabout. I suppose that's not a bad height. But um, yeah, I, I rely on the big threes. Uh, when I used to play, sadly, I'd just hang around the three point line, and even though I was the tallest player on our team. I just drift out to the three-point line and wait for the ball to come and just start launching bricks left, right, and center. But uh, that's the way it goes. But, yeah, I've had a, a, a fair mixture, though. I've had uh, Big Mark Eaton, as uh, Tara was saying. Yes. Uh, he's 7'4". Um, yeah, he's a massive human being. <laughs> yeah, he is a big human being. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've had a pretty good mixture of uh, players of all different uh, ability levels. Uh, obviously, they're at the highest level to be in the NBA to begin with. But uh, different heights, different uh, achievements. Uh, some have been NBA champions. Others are in the Hall of Fame. Others are journeyman players. Some are fighting to stay in the NBA. Some of the CBA players who are just trying to get their their nose into the NBA. So I just love the history of the game across any level as far as those who are trying to get to the highest level. So that's how some of the guests come to be. I've either seen them early on when I was uh, first falling in love with the game back in the early 90s. Um, so there's a, a wide mix of uh, sort of guests and, uh, and interests that I have across the board. I hadn't thought about this before until you just asked your question, Dan, but Adam, you've talked to, you know, a lot of people who've played a lot of different positions. Are there any patterns to like personality types and positions? Because when you said, uh, do you have a thing about talking to shooters? I was like, all the people that I think of, a lot of the players that I think of as shooters are players who seem to really love to talk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anybody see any patterns there, or am I just making that up in my head? <laughs> and it's okay to tell me that that I'm making stuff up in my head. Dan tells me all the time. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think you're making it up. It, there is definitely a wide range of personalities, and some of the people that you think ahead of time when you connect on Skype, like I get really nervous when I'm chatting to these people to start with, and after about five or ten minutes, I start to settle in a little bit. But you're not sure exactly what to expect because you've only ever encountered them via either their on-court exploits or just through articles that you've read online. And you might think, oh, this guy's a really outgoing guy, so I'm sure he'll be fine. He'll talk, you know, without any breath at all. But um, sometimes they surprise you and it's um, someone who's more laid back. But then when you show the amount of research you end up doing to get them on the show and talk about them, that that then opens up their experiences, I guess, and then they start to feel more comfortable. So whilst you might expect some of the shooting guys to, to be really the – the bigger personalities. It's not always the case. Um, someone in, like Mark Price, who's one of the all-time greatest shooters in NBA history, three three points or otherwise, great free throw mm-hmm. shooter as well. He's a more of a subdued, laid-back guy. Uh, that's just his personality type. And I found him to be a, a fantastic guest. And he's one of the guys I ended up meeting in Chicago uh, over All-Star Weekend and couldn't have been any nicer. Just, just so cool to associate with these people ever so briefly and then just sort of cement your opinion on them so many years after when you first learned who they were. So I don't know if that's answered your question or not. I tend to <laughs> ramble sometimes. <laughs> oh, no, trust me. You're fine. She's used to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's like so many different directions that I want to go. Um, but let me, before we get to some more Blazer-specific questions, uh, tell us uh, about what you were doing in Chicago and um, the circumstances under w- which you met all these uh, players. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, The first part of our trip, we went straight to Chicago via LA and we spent four nights there. So we were there from the, actually maybe five nights. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. It was from the Thursday night uh, before All-Star Weekend and then we left on the Monday to head to the rest of our trip. So basically the first four or five days were all loaded with Chicago basketball-related things and my wife was ever so understanding and gracious to let me do all that sort of stuff. But I think she sort of enjoyed some of it as well because she got to meet these guys as well and see how obsessed I am with that era of the NBA. So she firsthand got to see just exactly what uh, goes on in my brain sometimes, which isn't a lot, to be honest. But We do need um, to shout out your wife here because not only was it five days of basketball activities, remind me again, what was the weather like? <laughs> it was absolutely freezing. <laughs> We've come from Australia right, where it was, it was maybe... <laughs> Yeah, 
It was about 85 or, yeah, it's like 85 or 90 degrees Fahrenheit when we left Australia. And then we go to Chicago where it was basically freezing for most of the days. So it was a massive adjustment. And on the day we left, it was snowing. So we had all kinds of weather. Um, so she endured a lot. But uh, Lisa, I'll, I'll thank her eternally. She's fantastic. So, yeah, thank you, Lisa. But, yeah, we ended up going to um, – I had some NBA credentials to be able to go to the All-Star Media Day, but I didn't actually end up going because she wouldn't have come along with me. So I've kept the credentials, which is awesome. I've got them on the back uh, behind me there somewhere. But what I did do, uh, we were very fortunate that Mark Price, um, who we've talked about already a few times, he uh, very kindly offered us uh, tickets to get into an event, which was the All-Star Breakfast on the Saturday in Chicago, oh. where he received an award as part of that uh, that breakfast. And he gave us tickets to sit at a table right near where he was, uh, which was fantastic. So we got to meet a lot of former players and administrators on that day, which was awesome. And then that carried over to the next day, which was the Sunday of All-Star game itself. And then we went to the Legends Brunch, which was an amazing experience. Um, that's where it was just a who's who of former players. Uh, absolutely incredible. Um, an amazing array of people that got up and spoke as well. Um hosted by Ernie Johnson, who was just fantastic on the day as well. It was a bit of a somber start because we um, we were reflected on uh, the loss of David Stern and, and more recently uh, Kobe Bryant, of course. So he did a great job, though, Ernie Johnson, in, in hosting the event. And then there was a lot of celebration towards the end where just the former players were honoured. And, of course, there's a couple of Chicago greats there. Scotty Pippen was there. Horace Grant was there. Uh, Bob Love. Uh, just some massive who's who of uh, – former Bulls players, but uh, sadly, Michael Jordan didn't make an appearance, although he was there in Chicago over the weekend. Did Horace have the goggles on? <laughs> Unfortunately not. I really wish he had have. I wish he had have come out on stage because he briefly introduced Pippen for when Pippen received one of the awards towards the end of the day. And uh, unfortunately, he wasn't rocking the goggles, but that would have only topped things off and made it an even more memorable trip had he done that. Listen, if I had those goggles, I would look for excuses to wear them. <laughs> I think Ernie Johnson actually did make a joke and said that he actually was expecting Horace to walk out in goggles. So it wasn't overlooked by anybody that was there. <laughs> I don't know. I've been watching a lot of 90s basketball over the last couple of weeks, and Buck Williams' goggles were pretty amazing. Yes, he looked great true. in those goggles. And certainly being a Blazers player and uh, a well-respected player at that as well, he's got a, a place in the hearts of many Blazers fans, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. they were great goggles. Absolutely. <laughs> you had to be a certain person to pull off goggles. Like, there were guys who wore them and did not wear them well. The the Grants, both... Uh, Horace and Harvey. Uh, Harvey. Uh, yeah. Bo Outlaw and Buck. Those are your probably I would I would say that's your Mount Rushmore of goggle wearers, <laughs> right? Like, does, did anybody else like Rip Hamilton is the godfather of wearing the mask, and LeBron pulled off the black mask well. But let's be honest, Rip was the mask, and he, when it comes to goggles, there's 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 a Mount Rushmore of goggle wearers. There's there's pretenders and there's and there's the real ones. Let's be honest. Yeah, I think you've named pretty much the, the Mount Rushmore I'd go with as well. Uh, I think um, Bill Beer briefly rocked the mask as well. Uh, he looked more like a, a serial killer than a basketball player. So, I mean, that's bonus points at least. That's yeah, like true. the perfect segue because the I fell in love. I became just absolutely captivated by basketball during that series that Bill Lambert wore that mask because my, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, like I was watching basketball cause he was watching basketball and I was just kind of like, not really, I didn't ever really pay that much attention. But when he stepped out and Bill Lambert had that mask on, I was like, what is that? What is going on? And for some reason that was like what hooked me in. And ever since then, and that series, that was for whatever reason, that's what it did. So, like, there's not a lot of love between Portland fans and Bill Lambier, but I always do have that, like, little place in my heart for him because he is the one who sucked me in um, so that I could, you know, root for my team to beat him, which they didn't fight. Bill Lambier. <laughs> Bill Lambier. So is that the 1990 finals you're referring to, Blazers-Pistons? Yes, Yes. It's kind of funny. Uh, Tara and I both have um, sad Blazers stories that introduced us to the Blazers because uh, I'm actually from L.A. 
And the first game I ever watched was a Blazers-Lakers game. And this is peak Showtime era magic at his best. This is 89-90 Magic Johnson, right? And But I saw Clyde take off and his one of his patented, you know, one arm out, leg spread, out of nowhere dunks. And I became a Blazers fan. And we all know how that season ended. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There's so, a bit of history there with the Lakers and Blazers, unfortunately. Yeah. Most times the Lakers came off. Just a little bit. A little bit better, but we won't dwell on that for too long. That's okay. Don't worry. Somebody else will find time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Adam, and ask you about too, Dan, and especially because it's been on my mind a lot. Because like I said, like during this whole basketball hiatus, uh, my husband and I have been doing a lot of like reminiscing about the old days and we used to, you know, watch basketball together. And um, we actually, we got married in 1991 uh, the day that the Blazers beat Supersonics in game two, uh, we got married early in the day so we could watch the game that night. Um, and then on our honeymoon, we drove around the Southwest and like we would find a bar to watch the playoffs and everything. So anyway, we lots of nostalgia going on remembering those teams and we've been watching those games um, recently. So I wanted to ask you guys what you think about like the difference Obviously, there's a lot of differences between the game back then and the game today. Um, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts and like uh, on what some of those big differences are, the ones that really stand out to you. Adam, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I guess um, the whole concept of the super team didn't really exist back in the 1980s and into the 1990s, I guess, until maybe the mid-90s when, when Rodman joined the Bulls or, or Clyde ended up leaving Portland to go to Houston um, sorry, <laughs> I shouldn't have started. Like I said, I? somebody will find time. <laughs> Oops, that's Keep a going. Freudian slip. Sorry about that. That's okay. Just We're just t- a little emotional these days. It's okay. <laughs> sorry, wipe those tears away there, Tara. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I'd say the concept of a super team, I didn't even really mean that. I put my foot in that massively. Um, but yeah, the concept of super teams, uh, that's completely different these days. Uh, everybody seems to be more buddy, buddy as well. They're just all good friends either before the game, after the game, even during the game when they're playing against one another. Um, clearly the three point shot has become massive in the last five or so years. I guess Steph Curry certainly helped usher that in, but Three pointers were more of a almost an afterthought in the 1980s, and they're only starting to come into vogue as a, a possible scoring option in the in the 1990s early on. Um, so there's a, a few, few quick distinct differences that I could think of. Um, but yeah, mostly I guess the three point shot is, is just completely different these days. You barely even would have had a player on the team that might have been just a three point specialist back then. Certainly, you'd have you guys that could shoot the shot when they're open, but it just wasn't thought of as an offensive tactic unless you were only down by you know five or six points in the last couple of minutes or seconds of the game, you might try and force a three. So there's a few major, uh, a few differences I can think of just off the top of my head. I don't know if it's necessarily a difference, but it was an observation that I had when I was watching the replay of game three of the 92 finals of the day between the, the Blazers and, and Bulls. Just, just so you know, Adam, like right now uh, on NBC here in, in Oregon, they're replaying game five of the first round of the Western Conference playoffs when Dame sent the Thunder home with a shot. But beyond that, they've been replaying a bunch of throwback and classic games. And in watching that game, we talk so much about how athletes today are bigger, stronger, faster, longer, in better shape, uh, all of these things. And I'm sitting there watching Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, Clyde Drexler, uh, Jerome Kersey, Buck Williams, Terry Porter. And the only thing I'm seeing is, huh, that's weird. All I think I'm watching on this floor right now are 10 of the most dynamic athletes in NBA history. (laughs) Bigger, longer, stronger, more jacked, more physical. And I'm watching offensive possessions where these players who would excel in any era are all playing within 15 feet. Mm-hmm. There are possessions where on, on both sides for each team where there is not a single player spotted up outside of 18 feet. Every action, there are anywhere between six to nine players in with at least one foot in the paint. And you still have guys able to get to the rim 
and dunk on people regularly. That was just so mind-blowing to me as I sit here and I watch Terry Porter get through more grabbing, pulling, yanking, hand-checking, pushing defense, driving down the lane and dropping off a pass to Clyde Drexler for a baseline dunk. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, we talk about guys right now not being able to finish in traffic. What the hell is wrong with these guys? (laughs) I'm sitting here watching these guys get sucker punched in the kidneys while they're going to the rack. It's still finishing over dudes with two hands. And, like, I know what happened to the death of the big man. There's no big man camps, you know, the devaluation of the post-up game. But what the hell happened to these guys and their inability to get to the paint efficiently and finish through contact? Because it's, yeah. it's, it's nuts. Yeah, you made some great observations there. The spacing is just completely different. and uh, But still, yet they managed to find a way, as you said, guys like Terry Porter. Uh, and also – the, the the build of these guys and Cliff Robinson was another really uh, athletic guy, Uncle Cliffy, back in the the day as well. But yeah, Portland had a lot of those sort of guys that were very strong, well built uh, guys. So um, yeah, an excellent observation there too. When I was watching it, uh, so much transition, so many Terry Porter, like the ball, like he barely even has it in a hand in his hand before it is all the way down to the other end of the court. I mean, just incredible speed. Uh, so yeah, they're, they were either all crowded in the paint and just like managing to wriggle themselves around each other to score, or they were lobbing it from end to end with incredible speed and just finishing. And it's just been, I forgot how much I loved Terry Porter And at the time, I was really captivated by uh, Clyde Drexler because, like, who wouldn't be? I mean, obviously, he was just a joy to watch. But I do remember that I really liked uh, Terry Porter. And just watching him the last few days, I've just been like, Terry Porter would thrive in this era, I, I think. What do you guys think? I love Terry Porter. So I can talk about him all day. I'm hoping to get him on the podcast at some stage because he has agreed via a message here and there, but I don't want to keep chasing these guys up and annoying them. But uh, he's awesome. Just a real quick backstory. Back in 1990, when the Blazers were on that playoff run through to the finals, they were some of the first games that I kept recording and keeping on videotape as well here in Australia we'd get the finals games. So I ended up um, taping the Blazer games there. And in 1992, a friend of my father, he subscribed to a company called Pontel, which was not available in the US. You had to live outside the US and they would mail videotapes of NBA games to you each week. Wow. So I used to get a, I used to get his subscription of games and he'd lend them to my dad who gave them to me. And that the whole season in 1992 that he had, the team that he followed was the Blazers. So I used, I got to see a lot of Blazers games in 1992, which obviously coincided with the Bulls Blazers being in the finals. So I love Terry Porter. A lot of the reason is because I got to see a lot of his games, regular season and playoffs throughout that 1992 season and back in the 90 finals when I recorded them myself here in Australia. So I've got a soft spot for Terry and I could chat about him ad nauseum. But I'll, I'll leave it at that. Maybe Dan might have something else to add, but he was such a joy to watch. Well, remind me when we get done here, we'll, we'll have to make sure you get in contact with Terry because we, we can definitely make that one happen. Um, oh, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, it's like what Tara was touching on, the whole idea of like transition, it's it kind of goes against the grain because there was a time like I'm sitting there watching that game and I believe the halftime score was 37-34. <laughs> And I remember, like, that's a first quarter, you know? Like, that's, like, a normal first quarter. It's not even, like, a good first quarter. And I remember just thinking, these teams aren't scoring. And then all of a sudden, they would score, and they the, the, the opposing team would then score immediately in transition. And I'm just sitting there like, how is this even humanly possible? There's five guys already back. And you're right. That team, that, that Terry Porter team, that Clyde Drexler, I mean – the I don't know if you've ever seen it. I'm sure in your research you've probably come across it. The old Nike ad where it just says "Uh oh," and it's Clyde Drexler, Buck Williams, and Jerome Kersey, I believe, are, all, are the three guys on it. And it was them leading a fast break on a white background. I'll see if I can find it. It's an it's an iconic Portland poster. It was 
Donna obviously around the same time is in, in, in the same style of like the Bo Jackson one where it was Bo knows where just two words, you know? So instead of Bo knows it was, uh Oh. And I just remember looking at that and thinking that was the norm that every NBA team has a stable full of the most athletic human beings on the face of the planet who could all get out and dunk. And I sit here and I watch this new iteration of the NBA and particularly the Blazers where, you know, we get a dunk a night. Like that, that's about it. As opposed to like 13 a game, we're getting like one a night. I'm like, oh, this is fun. And it's just, it's just very strange, but also really interesting when you're comparing the eras. Everybody talks about how the new era is better or the old era is better. It's just, it's just interesting. We all talk about how they go about scoring and why things are different. But when you really see these little machinations that come across with these individual players who are like, you're like, well, if they grew up in a different era, I mean, was it, would it really be hard to see Terry Porter being an all-star point guard right now? Hell no. He's a six-foot-three tank of a human being who had a handle from God, Gary Payton-esque defense, and the ability to knock down a three. Like, this whole idea that the, these eras can't compete just kind of, I don't know, it's, 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 it's wonky to me. I can definitely see him competing for sure and being a great player in today's game. Uh, you mentioned that ad there that uh-oh. I actually have not seen that one. I, strangely, I remember the Bo Nose, which was more mm-hmm. about baseball, I guess, was it, or, or football. Um, but I don't remember the other one. So if you do track that down, I'd love to see it. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, either the old school posters or the old school ads that feature some of these players um, off the court uh, <laughs> doing a bit of acting. So that's always good for a, a bit of nostalgia too. Perfect. Oh, speaking of uh, players in uh, commercial and ad advertisements, uh, one of my very favorite interviews that you did, which all Blazer fans should listen to, is with Michael Holton. Um, he is currently a broadcaster now, and uh, he's on pretty regularly. So Portland, even current Portland fans will know who Michael Holton was. And he was fascinating because of his crossover not only just his journey in basketball but like his crossover uh with michael jordan uh he had a great story about michael jordan but you also uh you talked about a um an ad that he was in where they were all dressed up like boxers um that uh the early bowls where he was like he'd only been with them for a very short time and like they Put, they dressed him up and put him in this big advertisement. It's a great story. Michael Holton told great stories on the podcast. Um, one last I'm just typing it in. Oh, sorry. I'm just typing his name in now because, yeah, he was a guest on my show and we talked about that very we talked about that very commercial and he, he yeah. said that he actually ended up getting that photo enlarged and then framed and put on a wall. So, um, yeah, I've got a soft spot for Michael. He shares some great stories. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask one more question kind of about the Portland and Chicago or more specifically Clyde Drexler versus Michael Jordan. Um, you know, as somebody who has very familiar with Michael Jordan's career, I'm sure you came up against the, where the media at least um, had a big story about who was going to be the MVP in was it 92 between Clyde Drexler and uh and Michael Jordan. So, uh, any thoughts or, uh, things that you came across, uh, in just sort of the rivalry between the two of them or between the Blazers and the Bulls that you want to share? Well, it really even goes back to 1984 draft day. And I don't want to bring back some oh, yeah. more memories <gasps> that are going to get you in tears, but like I said, somebody always gets there. Yeah. We, there's just certain <laughs> events that in Portland, we just pretend didn't happen. Like there's a certain fourth quarter that actually didn't happen. Um, people out there in the regular world think that it happened, but in Portland, there's certain games that just ended in the third quarter. So like, you know, the draft went the way it did anyway. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. I'm really sorry to do this to you, but yeah, very <laughs> briefly, I know Drexler was drafted the year prior. Uh, so in 1983, he was picked by the Blazers and <sighs> he played 15 seasons in the NBA. Jordan played 15 seasons, albeit, uh, interrupted by a a retirement to play baseball and then a few years off before he came back to the Wizards. But Portland chose Sam Bowie uh, with pick number two ahead of Michael Jordan as pick number three in the following year's draft. But of course, most people know they already had Clyde Drexler, so they didn't need to actually pick Michael Jordan because Clyde Drexler was having a very similar sort of rise as being a very talented, similar height, similar build, similar skill set. Uh, at that stage as well to Michael Jordan. So 
that's why they overlooked or didn't go with Jordan is because they looked at Sam Bowie and they needed someone to to be in the middle. So that's clearly why. Two um, things though. Number yeah. one, five slammer jammer. Let's let's not forget the, the mm-hmm. trajectory, like you said, of Clyde Drexler. And everybody always talks about the difference between picking Bowie or Jordan. That was never the question. The question was whether or not Portland would win the coin toss because they wanted to reunite Hakeem with Clyde Drexler and bring five slamma jamma back to, or to Portland. That's, that's what I think everybody always gets lost on that, that little one. Cause that's, that's the little, like, that's what I tell myself to feel better about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's your bedtime it, tale. It's, it's true, but also it's mostly because I just want to remember that that's how it should have gone down. Had the coin toss gone differently. Away. Portland takes Hakeem. Yeah, no, that's that's a very fair point. Absolutely. Um, I did a quick bit of research before our chat today, and I looked at the per-game comparisons from Jordan and Drexler through the 1992 season mm-hmm. from when they were rookies. Um, the biggest discrepancy between the two is just the points per game, really. Uh, Jordan averaged about 32 points a game over that time. Clyde averaged about 21. But that's sort of a misnomer because in his first season, he only came, uh, only started three games and came off the bench, uh, averaged about seven points a game, Drexler did. Uh, they both shot better than 50% from the field. In terms of three-point attempts, uh, Drexler had a slight edge, um, 1% better than Jordan. They both weren't great from three-point range, just under 30% for their career, or at least through 1992. And then in terms of the per-game numbers on rebounds, Jordan just out Sean uh, Drexler, 6.3 to maybe 6.1, I think it was. They basically had the same number of assists per game, six a game, uh, almost the same steals and blocks. So with those categories, it's basically a draw. It's just Jordan's scoring prowess and I guess the fact that through some unlucky things that happened with the Blazers in, in 1991, sorry, losing to the Lakers uh, <laughs> in the Western Conference Finals there. Had you guys actually got into the finals there and also had the – 1990 finals gone a different way. Clyde Drexler and the entire franchise are looked upon completely differently because um, 1977 aside, when you won the title, Drexler could be a superstar beyond just being one of the all-time greats. He'd mm-hmm. be actually elevated even higher. So you've got to take that into account as well when you're looking at comparing Jordan and Drexler after those years they played against each other through the 92 finals. It's interesting that you bring that up because that was something that I went back and, and went through myself when I watched the replay of that game. And not because I'm a masochist, but because I wanted to literally look at everything and be like, how close was Clyde Drexler? Because here locally, Clyde was that guy. Clyde was Michael Jordan in Portland. And I think if unless you're old enough or you were on the West Coast, you didn't really know how revered Clyde Drexler was. Like when I was a kid, I had a shirt. Remember the, I want to be like Mike. I had a knockoff one that said, I want to be like Mike. And Mike was crossed out and it said Clyde. (laughs) Uh, But as a, but as I started to dig into this stuff, if Portland doesn't screw up against the Lakers, if they do handle business against the Pistons, if Arvidas Sabonis comes over when he's drafted in 86 the idea of both Clyde and the Blazers, because let's say Arvidas comes over, that team wins probably three or four titles. How much that shifts what Portland, how they're viewed. They basically become the Spurs before the Spurs as a, as, a, as the small market team that you lift up and you go, here's how they did it via culture and draft and doing things the right way. Instead, they're the, the franchise quite literally that has had something go wrong at every turn, but 77 and even the 77 team, it falls apart the next year with Walton's injuries. This, this franchise in honestly, I started looking at it in modern sports. I don't think there's a franchise that's more snake bitten than the Blazers ever since the Red Sox won their title and kind of cleared that off. I look at it and I go, there have been more things that have derailed what could have been monumental runs. We're talking about in the late seventies and in the mid to late eight, mid to late eighties, early nineties, and in the two thousands. There's so many moments you can point to and just go, oh, "That sucks." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you put that beautifully. <laughs> um, 
1978 season, I think before Walton had his injury, I think you guys were like 50 and, I don't know, 50 and something single yep. digits. You were they off were to an incredible start and then just obviously fell off uh, given his injury. But, yeah, you make some very valid points there. Unfortunately, a lot of what-ifs I don't like to mention, <laughs> but, yeah, not great. Well, I think we should probably start wrapping it up. Adam, it's been really awesome talking to you and just kind of having a throwback day. You know, like we don't have anything else to talk about right now, but you're just (laughs) your huge catalog of conversations that you've had with the greats and the stories that you've been told. Um, Just it it must really give you uh, just a a different perspective on, on the game or it must, you know, like really enrich maybe your enjoyment of it. Is that, how would you say it? Oh no, you've, you've said it perfectly. I just, it's, I sort of pinch myself sometimes because um, sometimes they're video calls and that's when I really get nervous. I can see them face to face. That's quite scary. Mark Eaton was one of those that you mentioned Mark Eaton sitting face to face with, even when he's sitting down, he looks incredibly tall. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I felt like I needed to hop on some stilts while I talked to him, but he, so, and then the other times, yeah, you just, you just sometimes have to think, wow, this is a great experience. So it certainly helps foster my love of the game even more at that period of time as well. But yeah, I appreciate you guys reaching out and having me on and um, look forward to uh, connecting with you guys perhaps some other time as well, going, going ahead in the future. Yeah. Do you want to tell folks um, how they can find the podcast? Yeah, sure thing. Thanks. Uh, the podcast is called In All Airness. It's three words, In All Airness. Uh, you can find it on all your major podcast platforms and uh, or then just Google the three words, In All Airness, and surely it'll pop up uh, that way as well. Awesome. Dan, you got any anything else we need to talk about or go over? I never even asked you how you're spending your time lately. We picked up any new hobbies the last week? Dan keeps picking up yeah, new no. hobbies. A lot of this has to do with, um, I, I do have a kitchen again, so that's the update. The remodel is done. So I'm actually cooking at home again, which is hilarious. Cause I, I went to Burger King tonight. That reminds me the fishing story, um, real quick, <laughs> since we were talking about fish, uh, I texted one of the guys at, at NBC who, uh, does obviously outdoor GPS. And I was like, Hey, you know, Tori and I really want to get into fishing. And uh, we were going to go do something and with social distancing because we could be out there by ourselves and away from each other safely. And then um, it, it all fell apart. So I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed because I, I, I've hunted most of my life, but I've, I've only fished a couple times. And one of those times was when I went ocean fishing earlier this year and I literally got sick 50 times in a row. Um, so shout out to that. <laughs> <laughs> And unbelievably, I still had a fantastic time. Don't I don't know how, but it started making me think. I was like, you know what? When I'm out there, I could probably think of some more Gary Trent nicknames. That was that was the one thing I kept coming up with. So Adam, I, I don't know why, but uh, Gary Trent Jr. is obviously from Minnesota, and for whatever reason, I tie fishing to Minnesota because I lived in North Dakota for a little while, and the only time I ever went to Minnesota was for two reasons: one, to hop on a plane at, at Minneapolis Airport, or two, to go fishing. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not tying him into airports. So I tied him into fishing and we just came up some, well, I came up with some really stupid fish nicknames for him. And that's where this whole thing is coming from. Was but yeah, so that's. Your, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 you're fine. Was, what was that? I was just going to say, was that during your greatest nicknames ever episode? Yes, that's, that's exactly <laughs> yeah, what it was. I, so. I didn't hear the very end of that. I listened to part of it and then got to the end because we were going to be having our call but i wanted to have a listen to it to see what the podcast sounded like <laughs> and i heard uh, i think tara was it, you're saying gtj was your nickname or then someone suggested gt2 or gt the second um what did you end up actually coming up with his nickname or you we just all got derailed because dan told a fish story and then we just didn't <laughs> we just didn't know what to do. We all just kind of so nobody really knew how to respond because Dan went on this big fish thing and we we're all like thinking, how does he tie fish to Minnesota? And like there's lovely there's lovely fishing in like every state. So it's not like Minnesota doesn't have good fishing, but it's just not something that typically would come to everybody's mind. Oh. 10,000 lakes and fishing doesn't come to mind. Let's be honest. Well, I did go to 10,000 lakes, but it's just like. We're not being that tangential, but yeah, those are the new hobbies. 
We've got months to work this out. Um, I don't, did, have you ever had, you pro, have you ever had Gary Trent on or Gary Payton for that matter on your podcast? Well, no, <laughs> I have not. Later, no, I guess. I have Get not. Gary Trent Senior. Make that happen. <laughs> I'd, My, I'd love to. I like this. I'm open to anybody and uh, everybody that's available. I just love <laughs> learning about any said player, and I'll do a deep dive. No pun intended with the fishing, but I'll do a deep dive on anything that uh, they've done in their career, and I'll be I'll be ready. So we'll see what happens. Well, the father son thing, the father son yeah, son thing true. is really interesting, and the Danny Shays was super interesting because of all the talking about his dad. I've uh, so that was really interesting. But um, yeah, in Portland we have Gary Trent Jr. on the team, and um, my dream because for a little while was it this was it. This summer that we had Gary Payton Jr. on the summer league team as well. So uh, we had Gary Payton Jr. and Gary Trent Jr. GP2 and, and GT2. Yeah, and my dream was that Gary Payton Sr. and Gary Trent Sr. will someday have a podcast and it'll be called Gary and Gary on Gary and Gary. So I say that <laughs> as many times as I can because I'm putting it out into the universe. That is my dream. But this has been really awesome. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, super fun to talk to you. Uh, you can find the Blazers Edge podcast for those who stumbled upon here because they're fans of In All Airness. Um, you can find the Blazers Edge podcast at blazersedge.com. And uh, you can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. Dan, why don't you take us out of here? All right, first of all, big thank you to Adam, uh, and make sure you guys go ahead and check out his podcast, In All Airness. Uh, for Tara, I'm Danny. You can find me on social media at Danny Morang, at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G. Uh, hopefully, we will have some updated news on Blazers Outsiders. We are hoping to have some stuff coming up for you, so Joe and I uh, will announce that here in the next couple weeks on social media. And we're looking to get a few more folks to follow up after Anthony Simons' appearance on the podcast. Uh, for the rest of summer. So hopefully we'll have some updates on that. Until next time, guys, thank you all for listening. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, do all that regular stuff. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye.